Okay, we are in the book of Acts, book of Acts, and reading Acts chapter 10, and picking up again at verse 34, Acts 10:34. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all these things. He did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on the cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to the witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and to solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And then Peter said, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then he, they asked him to stay on for a few days. So Peter comes into this house of Cornelius and he starts sharing. And he starts opening his mouth and sharing. And it's interesting to see what happens. It says in verse 44, While Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. While he was speaking, in the midst of his message, and we get the sense that this was the message that, that Peter had planned to, to preach. And actually, actually, when Peter is giving a defense for this, he says, that, he says in, in chapter 11, verse 15, Chapter 11 of Acts, verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as He did upon us at the beginning. So in Peter's mind, he was just starting his message. You think that, oh, this is the Apostle's message. I mean, Peter was an Apostle. You know, I can go on for 45 minutes. Imagine how long an Apostle would go on. This guy had just begun his message. And the Scripture says, while he was still speaking... The Holy Spirit fell on these people. No invitation was needed. No call. Or, he was just speaking. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit falls on these people. And Peter said, I had only begun my message. You know, I, w I, was, I was just in the prelude to the thing. I hadn't even really begun talking. And the Holy Spirit falls on these people. They didn't ask for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. They didn't say, oh, Holy Spirit, fall on me. It just, Holy Spirit just fell on the people as they heard this message. It says, Cornelius had called together his household and all his, his, his close friends. And they were there waiting, it says, when Peter arrived. And Peter sees this crowd in Cornelius' house. And he says, what's going on here? And Cornelius said, you know, I was told by God that, that he, and, and, uh, 
through an angel to, to uh, get ready. And so I called my whole family together. And that's what it says. In fact, in, in, uh, in chapter 11, it says that, that um, in, vo- in, in verse in verse 13 of chapter 11, and he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, "Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here." And he will speak the word to you by which you will be saved, you and your household. So look, the angel told Cornelius that I'm going to visit you with salvation, you and your household. The Bible says that Cornelius was a God-fearing man, but he wasn't saved. So just to be God-fearing, just to believe in God isn't enough. If just believing in God, and in fact it says that Cornelius was so God-fearing, he used to give alms away. He used to give donations to the Jewish people. That's pretty good. He should already be taken care of. He believes in God. He believes in God so much that he's God-fearing. He pays his his dues. He pays tithes. He gives alms. That should be enough. But no, God needs to still visit him with the message of salvation. Because as it says in, in Acts chapter 4, in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There is only one name in which we can be saved, and that is in Jesus Christ. And look at the message that Peter started to preach. Peter started with a message where he told about Jesus he says, you know, you've heard about this man. In, in verse 36, he says, The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism of John. So he assumes they already know it. Because the work that Jesus did was not a secret in that whole land. It was not a secret to the Gentiles. Remember, this is a Gentile group of people he's speaking with. And he says, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. So God came preaching peace through Jesus Christ. Of all messages to come preaching. Here this one man comes. God sends one man, Jesus Christ. He's the son of a carpenter. Just wears a simple, simple clothes and he comes preaching. God could have come any way he wanted to. Why not, have, why not just send legions of angels and have people's eyes opened? And so they see a million angels standing with big swords, flaming fire all around them and flaming chariots, as the scriptures say on other occasions when people's eyes have been opened. Then people would really fall and believe, right? Let's just scare them into believing. I mean, God could have done that. But no, he sends one lowly man. Jesus said, I am gentle and humble of heart. This is what he says. This is the way God projected himself to the world. No fear, no sword, no attack. God projects himself in gentleness. And that's, that's what he, he tries to bring forth. That's the image that he brings forth. Look in Matthew chapter 11. And you see this description of Jesus. 
in Matthew chapter 11. What was he like? What was the message that he was bringing? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a message. This is the message that God brought to the world. This message of Jesus Christ. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. One day, you will learn what it is. That you will be so weary. And then Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You can take someone from the world who is so busy, so anxious. If they receive the Lord, they can understand what this is. And Jesus never forces this upon us. But as believers, in the midst of the busyness of life, Jesus says, I can give rest to your souls. I can give rest to your souls. You know, several times people will ask me, how do you do all that you do? You run this program, you run this big lab... You, you teach these lessons, you go all over you. How do you do this? I, I don't know. But I can give you a part of it. I wake up very early and I spend time first thing in the morning with Jesus. I spend time with Jesus. Well, that should then give you less time. But what it does is it allows Him who gives rest to the soul to take me who is weary and heavy laden, and give me that time of rest. And then after that time, I get my family up. So, since my kids were very, very little, or before they were born, at 5.30 in the morning, I get them up, they come down, and we have family devotions. So I've had my time, and then I have my time with them, and then I leave my house at 6. But already I've had time with my family in the Scriptures. Jesus said, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give rest to your souls. You want to know the secret of God? It is time with Him and experiencing this one who is gentle and humble in heart. And He will give rest to your souls. He will refresh you. And He will give you what you need for the day. And remember, manna comes only for that day. You cannot gather up manna and have it be reserved for a second day. The Bible says the manna rotted. You gather up manna for that day. You come to Jesus each day and allow Him to strengthen you. And you will find rest for your souls. Sometimes I, I, I get into my quiet times and I'm so flustered about all the things I've got to do. And as I get and I start to pick up the Scriptures and start reading where I left off the day before, then Jesus just starts to speak to my heart and all these frustrations go away. And sometimes I'm fearful for the things that I have to confront or go about this day. And then I spend this time with the Lord and I'm telling you, I come out a roaring lion. I'm ready to take this challenge on. And if there's something before me that, that worries me, I say, Lord, I commit this to you. And even if it's, it's just something that sounds mundane to others, but to me, it's not mundane like writing a proposal. I say, Lord, give me this day the hands of a writer. And let me write this as unto you this day. 
And so then when I start to, to work on this proposal and start typing this out, it's, it's as if the God of heaven is there. Because I've asked Him to be. And He begins to minister to me as I'm writing. And gives me thoughts and gives me ideas. Because I've asked Him. Because this one who is gentle and humble in heart has come. And He starts to minister. And this is the one that, that Peter is preaching about. This is the one that Peter is sharing about in Acts. He says he's come to preach peace through Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 38 of Acts chapter 10, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. You want to know what Jesus did in his life? He went about doing good and healing those who were oppressed. And you know, God calls us to the same thing. He calls us to get out of our own little worlds of my own little school and my own little thought and my own little life of preparing for my family. And he says, get out of your selfish little world and learn how to minister to others in this world. So that this school experience that you have, this vocational experience that I have, I am called to step out of this beyond myself and into something beyond myself. Jesus went about doing good. The Bible says, overcome evil with good. This is what it instructs us to do. We are to follow the example of Jesus. Heal when we can heal. Bless when we can bless. Encourage when we can encourage. You know, I was talking with my, my, my mother and father this morning. I, I, we, we speak together every Sunday morning. And my mother came to know the Lord about five years ago at the age of 70. And she said, you know, if, if I could tell you, it's just so terrible the way I really am. She says, you know, I, I wouldn't tell anybody else this, so now I'm going to tell you this and post it on my website. But, but she, was, she was saying, you know, people call me sometimes and they tell me these things that are important to them, like about their dog and all of this stuff. And she says, you know, in my heart, I really don't even care. I really don't even care. And it's just all this, this chit-chat and going on and, and I don't even care. And I say, Mom, I'm the same way. I'm just like you. A lot of times I'm just like you. But God has called us to go beyond ourselves and to care about the concerns of others. And, and so I see what this 75-year-old woman is struggling with. Because I, I struggle with the same things. That I, I want to care about me and my little world and you know, talk about nanotechnology. Everybody's going to care about that, right? But God calls us beyond ourselves. And this is what he calls us to. Jesus went about doing good and healing others. So that when I sit down on the airplane, I know that I'm obliged to speak to this person about the Lord. I'm obliged somehow to start the conversation and bring it around to the Lord. And so often I'm able to do this and I carry CDs of some of my messages. And I say, hey, you know, I, I got something I want you to hear. And then I, I leave them with this. They say, send me an email after you've listened to this and let me know what you think. You know, somehow... God has, has me to do this. And He has you to do the same thing. We're to follow Jesus' example. And then look at Him in verse 39 of Acts chapter 10. And we are witnesses of the things He did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put Him to death by hanging Him on the cross. God raised Him up on the third day and granted that He become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is to us, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. 
And He ordered us to preach to the people and to solemnly testify, this one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. And of Him the prophets bear witness that through His name everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins. And while He was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell. Look what He ends with. It wasn't His end, but it was God's end. He who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins. But what message is he giving here? He starts speaking about the resurrection. Why such a difficult message? I mean, it's really hard to believe in a resurrection. Really hard. Of all things, why not just talk about the love of God? Why not leave the resurrection to, you know, the theology class a little later? Why the first message, the first paragraph, you start speaking about the resurrection and seeing a dead man who has risen? And then preaching the resurrection. Why of all things this? And then believing on this you can receive forgiveness of sins. Because this is the message of the gospel. I was at a board meeting yesterday for a ministry that I'm on the board of. And, and uh, uh, the meeting was in, in San Antonio yesterday. And the, the, uh, the person who heads the ministry said he and seven other leaders in this, in this uh, uh, Messianic Jewish movement, these are Jews that have come to know Jesus, were, were asked to share at this conference on the Gospel. And six of the eight didn't even have a message of the Gospel. In fact, one of them even said that she's not sure really what the Gospel means. And how far, in, even in evangelical circles, a person can get from understanding of the Gospel. In case you ever forget what it really means, God left us a chapter. It's in, it's in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it spells out for us the gospel message. What is the gospel message? We have been told to go and to preach the gospel to all the earth. And lest we ever forget, or perchance, if we should become so intellectual that we can somehow rationalize it and think it's, you know, all this other hocus-pocus stuff. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and read the simplicity of what the gospel really is. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1, Now I make, to, make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, to, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the words which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Let's stop right there and examine this. He says, I'm telling you right now the gospel. This is the gospel. You wonder what the gospel is? It, it is this. This is the gospel truth that Jesus has told us to proclaim. So, we may get all these other views of what we think in, in, in our great minds we ought to be doing as Christians and bring it right back to this. This is the gospel, he says, which I preach to you, which you received, and in which you stand. You want to know how you can stand as a Christian? Don't forget this gospel truth. By which also you are saved, he says in verse 2. This is the means by which we are saved. There isn't another way. There isn't another word. It is not uh, being good to thy neighbor. It is not. That is one of the things that we are to do once we are saved. The salvation comes through this message. The first step is salvation through this message, and it is in this we stand. 
If you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So in other words, our belief can be in vain. We can have a vain belief. Meaning that I can believe in something and think, you know, I've, I've got God. I really understand it now. I've got the right theology. He says, if you don't have this, you don't have it. You don't have salvation if you don't have this. This is the message we preach. Verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So look in verse 3 what he says, I am delivering to you as of first importance. You want to know what the most important thing is? The most important truth that we have as Christians? It is not feeding the poor. Feeding the poor is the good that should come out of this message having worked in our hearts. So feeding the poor doesn't get us saved. Taking care of people with AIDS doesn't get us saved. We get saved through this message and then we go and we care for others. It is through this that we minister. And if you don't have this, I guarantee you, you will get wiped out in ministry. And people tell me, oh, you know, I want to do this ministry. So, well, you better get saved. Or you're going to get really beat up spiritually and wiped out physically. If we don't have God working in our heart through salvation, through this message, and have this as our very underpinning, all the good works that we want to do, we will get very tired of. Because we will find that I go to help these people and they spit in my face. I'm not going to stay here and help these people who spit in my face. Well, let me tell you something. You want to do ministry, lots of people are going to spit in your face, if not physically, emotionally, and verbally. I've ministered to people in the prison who have said things to me that are not very nice. But I wasn't there for them. I was there for Jesus. I came to witness Jesus in that place. I pour out my life sometimes into students and spend a lot of time preparing things for students, preparing messages and, and doing things. And they come and go. I mean, students come and students go. They don't even tell me, you know, I left. They just disappear. They see them two years later in the back. And they, you, you know, I prepare all these messages to try to bless them and draw them more to the Lord. And they're gone, you know, for another year. And then they come back. Hi, I'm back again. Can we take some food home? Yeah, sure. Because I'm not there for them, I'm there for the Lord. Because I have the message of the gospel preached in my life. And that when I have rejected the Lord, He has continually been there for me. When I have disobeyed from Him and strayed from Him. He has continually been there for me. And it is this message of the gospel that keeps us ministering. Or else what happens is when we learn that the people of the world that we go to help don't really care for our help much, or they'd rather rip us off than get our help. It is only by this message of the gospel that we can continue on. It is this message of the gospel that will keep you on the mission field, witnessing and working and laboring, because it is of Him and he says, the most important thing is this. Jesus, Jesus came, this is the most important thing. That he died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. You want to know the most important thing? That Jesus died, he was buried and he rose again. The physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
and the intelligentsia in the university, they will accept the spiritual resurrection. But it is the physical resurrection. And just so that he could nail home that it was physically that Jesus rose from the dead, he says in verse 5, And he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of, them who, those, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. And he appeared to James, and then to those other apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So lest you think it is just a spiritual resurrection. He says, He appeared to me. And then, in, in, in the book of John, chapter 20, He tells John, Come, stick your... He tells Thomas, Stick your hand into the hole in my side. Stick your fingers into these holes in my, in my hand. This is pretty physical. And then in Luke, chapter 24, He says, Give me some bread, let me eat. This is after He had risen from the dead, and He said, Spirits don't eat. He's showing them it's not just the Spirit, it's a physical resurrection. This is the very message that was preached to Cornelius' household. Because Peter knew this is the message, this is the Gospel. Never forget the Gospel. The truth that Jesus Christ has died, He was buried, and He rose from the dead. You think, well, that will never work with these people. That's the message we've got. And remember, behind that message is a God who works on the Spirit and the heart. All of a sudden, this is all Peter said. He had just begun his message and boom, the Holy Spirit falls. They start speaking in tongues and they're all saved. This message really works. That he has risen from the dead. That this man who came preaching peace and healing and doing good died, was buried and rose again from the dead. Look in, in verse 12 of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith also is in vain. Faith can be in vain. Preaching can be in vain. If Christ is not risen from the dead, it is all in vain. Well, I, I did good to these people. Yeah, that's fine, but they're still going to hell. The message of the gospel. You know, Mother Teresa, who did so much good, did so much good to people, and blessed people so much in her life, she said, if the good works that we do do not bring the message of the gospel, they bring nothing of substance into these people's lives. She could not divorce the good works from the message of the gospel. She understood that if you just do the good works without the message of the gospel, we've left left nothing of substantive good in these people's eternity. The message of the gospel is the message that has to be preached. This is the message that we bring forth. He says in, in, in verse 16, If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. I mean, how much stronger does the man have to tell us that our faith is worthless and we're still in our sins if Christ has not been raised? So if Christ has not been risen from the dead, Christianity is worthless. And all the the, the things that we might hear from very intelligent people who have all these great theologies... It has lost its power if there is no resurrection from the dead. This is the message of the gospel. Never let this leave you. 
And in case you ever start wondering, you know, what's the purpose of all this? Why are we... You read this 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is of first importance, the most important thing. And that is where Peter starts. That's where Peter starts in, back in Acts chapter, chapter uh, 10. He starts with the message of the resurrected Savior. He says, we saw Him. And when you believe in this, when you believe in this, you receive forgiveness of your sins. And boom, the Holy Spirit falls on them. And that's why we learn in the book of Romans when we're getting instructed through the epistles. We learn that, that, that uh, uh, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that He's risen from the dead, then we shall be saved. We have to confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that He's risen from the dead and then we will be saved. The resurrection, the resurrection is just as much a part as believing that Jesus is Lord. And then comes salvation and forgiveness of sins. And this is what comes. This is what's delivered. And this falls, this salvation then falls on Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and all his household. And they all get baptized. Look what Cornelius did. It says, Cornelius gathered together all his friends. So back in Acts chapter 10, verse 24, on the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and he had called together his relatives and his close friends. He brought them all together. Look what the man did. He brought his family and his friends together. He said, a message is coming. I mean, he had real faith that this guy Peter was going to show up. There were no cell phones. Nobody called Peter's on the way. But he had them waiting, knowing it was two days' journey there, two days' journey back. He had them waiting at the right time on the right day. And he brought them all together. And he didn't just say, well, you know, my friends will hear if God's will that they hear. My family will hear if it's God's will they want them to hear. He said, get them in here. Get them in here. It is God's will that they are to hear. So get them in here. He brought together his family. And then the Holy Spirit fell on them. Because God told him, as it says in, in, uh, in verse 14 of Acts chapter 11, that the angel had said, uh, uh, and he will speak words to you by which you will be saved and your household. There was this assurance that you bring your household to this meeting and they're going to be saved. I challenge you that when you are leaders of households, that you make sure your family gets in church every Sunday. And that you take this with all seriousness, that you place them in the place where they're going to hear the gospel. You say, well, you know, really church isn't important. We kind of... It's very, very important. That as a family, you say, okay, well, when we have kids, then we'll do it. Liar! Hypocrite! You don't do it just for your kids. You do it because it's right. Not when we have kids, we'll do it. Because your kids will realize that you're a stinking hypocrite. Because children understand and see hypocrisy better than anyone else. And they always pick it out in me. You know, I can go so far as to say, I don't even need the Holy Spirit to speak to me on, any, on many occasions, because I have teenagers. They speak it right out. They tell me exactly what I'm doing wrong. It's right there. Children see this. 
Church is important. Having them in that meeting to hear the message from Peter was important. These things are of value. How many broken families would you like to be paraded before you, before you, 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 you take hold of this thing? How many regretful couples would, would you like us to bring before you in this church? And say, you, you know, I, I'm really sorry we didn't work harder with our kids and now they've gone astray. How many women would you like us to parade before you that say, you, you know, I really should have listened to them and, and, and you know, we, we really should have, have, have uh, had our marriage in a way that was a lot more godly. And now my marriage is broken. How many men would you like us to parade before you? These words are true. He brought together his entire household. He brought them together to hear this word. This was important. You need to do this. You are at a stage in your life, you're out of your home. At this point, you begin to be faithful in a church and be faithful to that church. And church membership is important because that's what the church says there is. You can attend a church that feels that joining the church isn't important, and that's okay. You come under submission to whatever that church feels. But when you attend a church, take part in it. And all there is is a membership. It's a very simple thing. It's too simple in this church. I think the barriers should be higher. And they have this watch care membership where you just come in, you don't even have to get rid of your membership in your home church. But you do that as an act of submission and obedience. You learn to participate in the body of Christ. These things are important. You learn to give to the body of Christ. These things are good. And you will bring salvation to your home through these acts. You take it seriously now. And then you know what will happen? You'll meet a spouse, you'll meet a person who will be your spouse who values the same things. And that's what you want to do. You want to value the same things. I met my wife in the church. I didn't meet her in a bar. She wasn't a barmaid. I knew what her values were when I met her. Because we had like values. And never in my marriage have we ever had a disagreement on the way we ought to bring up our lives with, with the children and with the church. Never. We've been married 25 years. In that time of marriage, I cannot recall a time when I ever just skipped church. I can't recall a time. There have been times sometimes that I've been traveling, that I've been you know, in an airplane or abroad or something, and even when I'm there, I'll try to find a church. I'll go into a Catholic church if I have to. But I'll find something. When the kids were sick. We've had four children, so we've had a lot of sick kids. When they were sick, we brought them to church anyway. Infected a bunch of other kids. We did. We were going to be in church. There were once in a while that the kids were really sick, and one of us will stay home. The whole family didn't stay home. But one of us would stay home with that kid. And then everyone else would go. And my kids have learned the importance of the body of Christ in going to church. Why? Because that's what was reflected in their home. If it's not important to you, it won't be important to your kids. And then they'll end up finding their spouse somewhere else than in the church. And then you'll really regret it. The great thing about being able to speak to a college class is that there's not too much mileage on your wheels already. Because if I say these things to a middle-aged class, there's all these regrets. And people think I'm too hard. 
I'm too mean and I'm singling them out. But you haven't experienced this yet. But just remember, half of you, exactly one half of this class is going to undergo the pain of divorce. According to the standards of the church in this country, 50% undergo, uh, undergo divorce and you think, oh, not me. Well, don't think like that. Pray not you. Because I never met a couple that went into marriage thinking they, they were going to get divorced. They loved each other. They didn't go in thinking, within two years we'll be divorced. Maybe four on the outside. Nobody thinks like that. But remember, half are going to undergo the pain of divorce. And that ought to drive you, as it does me, to fall on my knees and say, God, have mercy on my marriage. Have mercy on my home. I've seen so many kids go astray. And I cry out to God, God, have mercy on my children. Let me demonstrate to them a heart where they know that their dad is at the bottom of those steps in the morning, on his knees, praying and reading the scriptures. That means something to them. So that when they get out of my house, and they're on their own, that reading the scriptures in the morning means something to them, not because I told them they have to do it, or because the the Sunday school teacher said, it's good to do this. Their dad demonstrated it. That's what he did every morning. That's the best thing that I can do. And to pray God's covering upon them. You, you are the ones who have to begin to do this. You are the ones that need to take this message and bring it home to the family that you have. And it starts now. Or else, you know what you are? Big H. Hypocrite. I do it because now I have kids. No, you do it now. You start now. You work these patterns into your life now. And then let God Bring the right spouse in your life and bring you up in the right way in a family that loves God and honors Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for the truth of the Gospel, the simple Gospel message that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He rose again and He was seen by people. He ate with them and He, 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 he was touched by them. Father, thank you that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. May we never forget this message, this simple gospel message, the the word of truth. And Father, I pray for these young people that they would take seriously the things that are before them in this truth and in this word. That they would so pattern their lives in the right way. In the right way. That they would so pattern their lives seeking you. Father, have mercy on them, I pray. Have mercy on these young people and drive them, I uh, I pray, Lord, to their knees to cry out to you for mercy and for grace. Father, I thank you for their precious lives. What precious young people they are. Father, protect them. Protect them from the hand of the enemy who would want to bring destruction on them. Father, I pray for good marriages and good lives and good children in in their families that would love you and honor you. Father, I pray good for them. Father, may they so remain in you and in your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.